Hello, welcome to the cul-de-sac, an amalgamation of ideas and synaptic connections from our brains to yours. Today I'm joined by my friend and one of my favorite artists, Joseph Keckler. I remember very well the first time I met Joseph. It was also the first time I had ever seen him perform. It was 8 a.m. in one of my classes as a student at the University of Michigan, and he was singing over a video that he made with some of his friends. And when he finished, everyone else in the room had uh, turned into a big pile of bloody goop. And me and him looked at each other and knew we had to clean it all up. And so we did. And after that, we became friends. And I know for a fact that um, a lot of other people have a really similar story about how they met Joseph. Joseph is known for his expressive and powerful voice, stirring songs, and an absurdist, bizarrely heroic operatic monologue style, which dances between comedy, commentary, and communion. He has headlined at little places like the Lincoln Center, and big places like Joe's Pub, Centre Pompidou, Third Man Records in Detroit, and London's Soho Theater. He has evolved past the need for category. He stuns audiences in theaters. He stuns them in comedy clubs. He stuns them in art museums, rock venues, and his voice reverberates through the hollowed halls of the classical music world. He has toured with Sleater Kinney. He mounts his own shows, like A Train With No Midnight. And he comes on the cul-de-sac for a conversation that will be presented now, minorly edited. Well, here we go. Okay. I was, uh, you know, nardwaring you and, and researching you heavily. And I wanted to say here, too, that, I mean, like I told you last time we talked, but you're like one of my favorite artists. Oh, well, that, that means... I mean, I got to tell you that again. Thank, thank, you, thank you. And it's because... Um, your command of language is, is like I was rereading your Gettysburg piece again today because it's so I don't know I guess timely <laughs> unfortunately yeah, right. and um, but yeah it's neither here nor there it was, it was really cool and we'll talk about it more but um, I think I want to start with this thing I read in some New York Times article about you, co- you said like it always bothered me that Laurie Anderson said she wasn't good enough to be a professional violinist and you thought that you wished Laurie Anderson were good enough and that she was still Laurie Anderson and I think you were talking about how that you like develop like as you were developing as a singer and a performer you know it's really important that you like you know have a really good voice and you're like you know you're you're really good at a professional you know um vocalist and so um I don't do think how did that like influence your trajectory into you know building building your skills as a singer or yeah like so I, I might answer in a roundabout way totally. which is often my um impulse but you know in ter- also i i've always felt a little a little um ambivalent about because <laughs> I really like Laurie Anderson and I was I was also not saying you know that was a response to something I had read or seen her say so mm-hmm. um, and I, and I also look at her as as a as a person who's an example of of someone who's you know has a mastery over multiple art forms so anyway I, I just want to be clear that I don't that comment wasn't arising out of any shade to, to Lori Anderson. Totally, yeah, yeah. But but I but I also think that um yeah that there's something about about that idea of of a, a t- you know also I think there's something valid though there might maybe maybe I think about it different differently now. Um, mm-hmm. I mean it might be I think there are lots of interesting examples. Where somebody either was kept out of an 
art, maybe, well, some, some interesting examples where somebody was kept out of an art form, maybe because of certain hierarchies, and then they ended up creating their own, their own version of it. And there are, I'm sure there are lots of examples where somebody, um, also failed in one way, but then transform the failure into, into a different vocabulary. So I think everything's possible, but for me, I, particularly because I'm using certain tools that signify something that seem like, oh, that's like a kind of, that sounds like he's a professional opera singer. Um, and then people imagine this trajectory of like that I, that I'm an opera singer who defected or something like I was going through a conservatory training and then, and then veered off, or maybe I was too weird or I couldn't make it in that, you know, there's part, partly that, um, whereas the reality is that I, you know, started as a painter and trained as a singer at the same time. And, um, and so I just want to make, make that kind of legible. And, and yeah, I, I also, um, I think it's really powerful, and I'm I'm not always able to achieve it, but but sometimes maybe I am. I think it's powerful when when the, the decision is clear, when when you're making a choice, you know. The, and I remember training with you know like people who were um, training to be opera singers, saying things like talking about, well, I'm only going to sing if I'm paid, and all this stuff. I think there's sometimes a whole a whole kind of um, system of values that goes along with certain types of training and that weren't aligned with my impulses at all. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and and I remember, yeah, so so something, you know, I remember also like, I remember, I remember appreciating kind of the f- formal qualities of Cindy Sherman and the, and then the grotesque imagery mm-hmm. that she used, and thinking, yeah, that 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 those things, those two elements were interdependent. The kind of weirdness um, in combination with discipline, and so when la- when before the pandemic, I was touring with Slater Kinney and on some kind of like rock blog um they somebody said i've never felt more weird but been so impressed (laughs) and i was and i kind of felt like that's uh, that was a great victory like that that's uh, always been what i wanted (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah that sounds elegant felt so weird but it was I'm sorry. He said, I've never felt, he said he felt weird or she, he said like, I've never felt more like watching Joseph Keckler. I've never felt more weird, but been so genuinely impressed. So Mm -hmm. I guess I feel like what I can access if I do something that's, that has an undeniable, like craft, you know, an undeniable discipline, then I would be able to present some, you know, very unfamiliar vision and that mm-hmm. and that people would have to contend with it just because yeah. they can't dismiss me on grounds of like not being good right yeah that's the power yeah that's the power your work has for sure you can like slip it in um that's so cool yeah um i was thinking of, i mean i was talking to isaac our, our mutual friend isaac too just brainstorming things to talk about and he pointed out how like how time is like a really big part of your work the experience of time i mean obviously you're a performer so it's time-based but like he he was the one who said notions of like spiral time non-linear time and then i started reading i read read again trained to train with no midnight and really latched on to that piece in that text about uh how it occurs to you that maybe they didn't have a midnight because of the time change uh, that would have, they would have, you know, they're leaving from Chicago coming to Indiana. And so they would have crossed the border and there would have been a time change. They would have missed New Year's Eve. Um, but like, yeah. So can you talk about time in your work or how you think about time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just for, I, um, so that piece train with no midnight was something that was an essay first and then became a uh, 
kind of like a play, I guess, or a performance piece, and then, I don't know, it might be becoming like a film now, and it's kind of just, it goes, it, you know, well, it, in terms of time, and you know, multiverse, it's the train of you know, midnight is like now going to become a bunch of different th things. It's, it has different versions itself, but the, the basis of that was like a very literal event where I was on a train on New Year's Eve, and um, was expecting a, that there would be some kind of like orgiastic scene on the Amtrak for some reason, yeah. and was excited about that. And and I boarded a little bit after midnight, and everybody was sleeping. Um, and then I discovered that the train had crossed time zones, um, skipping over midnight. And it, being the the year change, I was looking at that as a you know as a metaphor too. And, and were they had had the the year changed for all those people, or were they trapped forever in the in the other year? Um, and uh, and then and then the you know in the in the performance piece, I, I'm kind of like uh, on on a quest for that fugitive hour and um, thinking about other scenarios. Um, where something where something didn't didn't happen that I that I thought was was going to happen. Um, yeah. And so and, and you know so um um what was I? It's kind of like during 2012 too, which was like this time when we we're all like like everybody was like oh the apocalypse is gonna come. And yeah, that, I, it was the know. 2012 apocalypse. So it's a lot about endings too. It's about mm -hmm. about the anticipation of endings and then. <laughs> And and looking and looking at that apocalypse as something that um, I felt like there was a lot of apocalyptic longing. Um, that's what I was registering at that time because it was also this fa fantastic apocalypse. Like um, it was predicted um, by by Mayans. People were saying, and and so there was this mm -hmm. also. And and the, their calendar ended, so the, our world's going to end. So there was this kind of fantasy of, well, if our world ends, we have no culpability. And mm -hmm. you know, if it, it something I always thought about when that ending too is like, um, I mean, I, they don't really specify how it would end. Like we're not, we maybe the world did end in 2012. Some people do think that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, it's. Um, this, like, uh, non-linearity of time, too, like, is, like, throughout a lot of your works. It, it is, and I'm, and I'm not really sure why exactly, and I don't feel like that's, for me, it's not couched in a certain, um, like, declared philosophical viewpoint or anything, it's just the way that I relate to time. I think. Yeah. And that's what I was yeah, I think that's the feeling I get from it too. It, it doesn't seem rooted in like something stuffy. I mean, not, your work never seems like rooted in like in that kind of thing. Like I don't know, I, I don't know why I think philosophy is stuffy today, but um you know, it's it's really it, it's always based in in your experiences and that's why I'm so attracted to it. It's like you're you're and the banal, like banal experiences that you can, you can just take banal experiences and and like do your magic on them and then all of a sudden like the nine to five is actually not like so so like boring anymore you know i don't know it's i don't know yeah i guess that's an important i mean so yeah with with the with the with the nine to five thing i i always found I mean, I think workplace environments are fascinating in a way, uh, you know, I haven't had as much material since I stopped having, like, different jobs. Um, but one, one time there was, you know, sp uh, speaking of um, st stuffy, but there, I think what this this one scholar said to me one time, uh, an old, older scholar, Vicky Petrak, about about work and and the doing doing artwork about work. She said, "You're not not there," um, you know, and that was kind of a, re a revelation to me. That because I thought I thought that's what I was doing. I mean, I kind of had framed it in my mind of um, reclaiming lost moments, reclaiming you know when I, when when I was like on the clock you know at all these jobs my time was sort of supposed to be 
I, it's like it's like the idea is I'm not really like alive. I'm like there as a worker or something. I'm there doing sure. a job. So I found it, I think, both com comforting or something, and also um, subversive to from to you know like actually just register what's going on and what are these workplace dynamics like and what you know and and the kind of um just mental theater that you you're inhabiting when you're when you're at a job and the 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 absurd you know the, you know and they, they, those are well-worn topics the you know the labyrinthine bureaucracy and all, all sorts of things but <laughs> um you know and i think it also is this this exercise of like you can just sit for a minute and write down everything that happens in that minute and mm -hmm. it's it's a lot and there's like yeah. this idea of of dismantling filters you know that are that we're that we've taken for granted you know so in this minute there's you know there's like sirens outside they're like i'm having thoughts in my head there's all this visual information so i, I think that for whatever reason um i've always been a bit inclined towards uh, stream of consciousness and towards like what my friend Olivia phrased as reporting on consciousness. Oh yeah, cool. You know, which I, which mm -hmm. I which I'm also attracted to to that to that idea. Yeah. What's uh? What do you think about like what is that space like? I mean, like yeah, I mean, reporting. When you say reporting on consciousness, it makes me think like, oh, there's. Um, you know, you, you, are you, you're separated almost. You're like, I love that when you get into that those moments, and you like are watching yourself like go through life, and you like can pick out all the all, like, all the all like a lot of moments, and um, like you said, yeah, like make note of them. Uh, it's sort of gen and then so these these moments they, they generate these texts which are like lyrics for songs, but then also um you know a written i don't know what do you call like a, a, a like a it's not is it prose i don't prose, even know i'm like yeah, so bad at literary terms yeah prose or yeah kind of, or they could be monologues or they could be yeah just prose yeah. i guess but yeah um i'm i'm not sure um Wait, what, what? What? What were we talking about? I don't think I made a good question, so yeah, it's, it didn't get anywhere. But I, I was thinking I, about I, this idea of um, oh, reporting I like that, on I like consciousness. That, yeah, reporting on consciousness. That uh, phrase, like, it it hits me in a in a really good way, and I kind of I want to like unpack it a little bit. Well, I, like, yeah, because if you're reporting on consciousness, it would insinuate that like you're an active viewer of your consciousness. That's something that I don't think a lot of people think about, and right. it's something that. I think when people go into that mode a lot more that they start to draw they start to like see like what what their reality really is because you see yourself in that space rather than participating in it directly yeah i mean I, and i and to and to again be a bit um possibly high highfalutin or sound stuffy but i remember being a teenager and reading this um book by Sartre on Baudelaire and he ref referred to Baudelaire having a double consciousness oh, and, cool. I, and that uh, that phrase from then on I was stuck in my in my mind and I, I mean lately I've felt kind of I felt a little bit critical of the way that I've existed in my mm. life which is to mean that I've I think I've too often tried to objectify my own experiences. I mean, I think I have sort of like a experience fetish, you know, and and I often have felt like an observer in my own life. But in another way, I don't know. I think as I think even as a child, I just always felt very removed. Um, mm -hmm. I think from the time I went to public school, I felt I found it very alienating and I yeah and I was and I didn't really have um I I, I inhabited a strange like so, social position in that in the whole world of like being in school and it was so I, I don't know I think yeah. I, I just remember very clearly that moment of like entering society which was kindergarten which was like people um I, my first memories of it is just like boys like 
literally one boy like in the dirt on the ground and other boys kicking him in the head and he was bleeding. It's like the first day of kindergarten. Damn. Kalamazoo is rough. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just recess and then, and I don't know, I, I felt like it just seemed completely brutal. Like this yeah. world of brutality that I, I didn't know how to find a place in. And so I thought like these boy I couldn't I didn't want to hang out with like those boys they seemed dangerous mm -hmm. I didn't really want to hang I mean the, and then so I hung out with this what I, I thought was a boy but she turned out to be a girl but she looked like a boy and then she hung out with girls and I didn't also relate to them I related to her but um, mm -hmm. anyway I was just yeah. sort of so I think I think for whatever reason different people can already have a feeling of being sort of an observer and I and I think yeah. that I had that and so I and I think that that um I, you know that I've often been extremely you know sometimes I'm I'm like the life of the party um mm -hmm. and very gregarious and everything but um other times I've I just kind of lurk around and am really just watching mm -hmm. um and really thinking about stuff while I, you know, so I think it's, I think I've been separated from experience, but I'm also hyper attentive to experience. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, I mean, when, so like growing up is hard in general. And I feel like a lot of, like a lot of people get to that place, especially like, I don't know, Michigan is, I don't know how Kalamazoo is, but like Mich Michigan is like, it's got a mix of like, you know, there are, it's so, first off, it's so segregated in Michigan. You don't do a lot of mixing with other people. And so you get stuck in these kind of like, you know, white suburban schools where they're not teaching. I mean, they're not really interested in a lot. I mean, they're all, obviously like we all have teachers that help us out through things, but I think like, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Michigan generates a lot of outsiders who who end up like going on to have great acclaim and performance, like Iggy Pop and like I don't, you know, all these people. I was, I don't know. Maybe that's just an American thing. Maybe it's not a a Michigan thing. I don't well, know. I think there's something about the Midwest. I mean, it's hard for me to say because I I don't think I have total perspective, or I don't even trust my. But but I kind of do. I mean, even if you look mm -hmm. at the way Michigan is played into the, <laughs> the yeah the, the insurrections whole, and things. the insurrections yeah. yeah I think I I do think the Midwest is a is people always say it's a kind of passive aggressive place it's kind of a a repressed a repressive place mm -hmm. I I don't think that's untrue no no I, I think it's opening up somewhat I like Ann Arbor because they decriminalize psychedelics and and like everything and that's cool also the new prosecutor in ann arbor is kind of cool he, he got rid of cash bail eli sabbath so i don't know little things can maybe a culture can change obviously ann arbor is totally different than the rest of michigan ann arbor is totally different yeah. Yeah, yeah but and there's so many there's so many different kind of ingredients in michigan too and there's so many different types of yeah. places and there's also a, there is a also a type of sincerity i think that people have there that I I connect to. I mean, in the in mm -hmm. the past few years too, in the political landscape, there's a lot of times where I relate to, you know, the the vision of the way that Midwestern people think about like coastal elites. Like sure. I, I I get it. Yeah. Like I've also it's a class thing. It's a know? class thing that and yeah. you know so I have you know I have I have like a mixed identification where I like relate to. <laughs> Sure. Relate no, to coastal elites in certain ways and relate to like, um, yeah. I mean, that's the one thing we need to move away from in general is like these binaries. Yeah. I think your work does that. Um, it moves, it moves that way. Um, all right, dude, I like, I listen to your pop songs all the time. Really? Yeah. The cities and, and, um, I mean, it's it's just a, such a good song, I, and you recorded it differently too. Like this, this the cities is on is like on. I found it on Spotify and Apple, so it's out there in that way. But then, did you you then recorded it again with like NPR, and that one was different. But did it, is it the same song? Well, it has to, yeah. Let me think. I, 
I think I, I think just, the cars is like when I was walking. Yeah, the, the city. But, but that's the song. But I, I think I recorded. I mean, I recorded a demo. I recorded okay, it yeah. for this one podcast, and then, mm-hmm. and then I put that on Spotify as a demo. Okay, um, for sure. Cool. But, so when's the album dropping, bro? <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, see, and, and Isaac and I recorded a different version, and yeah, mm-hmm. I've recorded that. So I, I'm trying to release these things. It, 2020 became such a um yeah such a purgatory and yeah and so i i wanted yeah so it's just been hard to move stuff forward but um Mm -hmm. i'm Mm -hmm. trying to release like a series of singles and i think i'm gonna release them under a different name under just no no midnight so that's also an extension of train yeah that's a that's a tight name good I'm that's glad. cool i like no midnight good speaking of titling and names and stuff all right the dragon on the edge of the flat earth when i was i read that title like two years ago or whenever i don't know when, it, when the book first came out but i was like totally um taken by flat earthers at that time just as a as a lark and um but then i read about how you came up with the title and it has all these references to ancient cartography and this dragon being like the thing that they put there being like we don't know what's beyond here but there's sea monsters here right and i don't know that stuck with me so i was wondering how did that arise that sort of like feeling or that well i guess it it did also come from a piece that was about work that was about working at at an office and i had described it uh, I, I had said the the life that I want is at the very lurking at the very outskirts of possibility, the dragon at the edge of a flat world, mm-hmm. and so I was looking at it as, um, again something that's 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 at the edge of possibility or the edge of what what is mapped, and um, that could be that you know feel that's both fantastic but also dangerous and um in 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 its quirky way you know that that book is is about a lot of characters who are sort of on the on the fringes or or sort of have their own um highly individuated characters um who don't quite have a context or who 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 um yeah who are kind of marginal in in one way or another but have their own but are very particular so you know i was i was looking at looking at at that and and just yeah yeah no that's good um then the the you make a good segue here to talk about the characters that inhabit your work i mean they're not the typical i don't they're not the like you don't write obviously you don't write the hero's journey sort of works you're like your characters are, are women old men fantastical creatures talking animals um you're you know i don't know like all these like you say the fringes um and people who have been put upon maybe made maybe made to feel outsider and then owning it and transforming and transcending through that and so I was wondering if we could talk about some of your friends who are my favorite. <laughs> I mean, we don't have, like, no, but, like, I love Edgar Oliver. And uh, how's Edgar doing? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm glad you asked that. I think Edgar, let's see. Uh, I think Edgar and I talked. We haven't talked in 2021 yet. We talked maybe right around Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've, we've been talking on the phone a lot during this cool. whole pandemic and and also can you tell, we, can you tell a little oh, bit about who Edgar yeah, is? Yeah, totally. Yeah, good point. Um, so Edgar Oliver is is a, a monologuist and writer who and and kind of actor who lives in, in New York and has a he and his sister both have this particular way of speaking. They're both from Savannah, but he speaks in a kind of gothic way, mm-hmm. like, you know, the other... I, I, you know, I was talking about... So I'm planning to get to Detroit at some point, and I told Edgar that, um, 
you know, he, he asked me if I'd ever seen that movie, Last Lovers Left Alive. Oh, yeah, yeah. The um, Jim Jarmusch. Yeah. Vampire one. Vampire, and they're in Detroit. And um, and I said, yeah, I have seen that, and I kind of want to be them. And Edgar mm-hmm. said, well, you kind of are. <laughs> and so that, <laughs> that's kind of how he died. I mean, that's not the best impression, but... That's um, really good. Yeah. And, uh, but that was a great compliment to me, but also... Mm-hmm. He, he so Edgar, and Edgar spends all his time wandering around the city, around Prospect Park, around the botanical gardens, and mm-hmm. and reporting on his on his wanderings. And you know he he's also, you know I think in the eighties wrote wrote these kind of uh, plays that belonged more to like kind of kind of theater of the ridiculous like like plays eighties kind of club stuff. And then and then has become this. Um, I think he's. I think he's one of the you know greatest monologue. I mean, I think he's like one of the greatest monologists probably around, <laughs> and um, he. And I think it's because, um, I, I, yeah, I think he just inhabits this this. Uh, I mean, that's the say? hard thing about saying what someone like. I was realizing too. It's like. I love your artwork and it's so hard it's almost hard to like tell you why <laughs> and it's like with edgar too it's like i also think he's just an incredible monologue it's because he's got this full presence and it's something that you bring to your work too which is like you almost just enter the stage and it's just it's just like it's like the non-verbal part of being a human where it's like there's just an energy there that like you can just kind of laugh and the audience will start laughing we're all i don't know like every performance i've seen you just take immediate control of the space without doing anything you kind of just show up and edgar is the same way he just you know as soon as he opens his mouth it's like okay i'm gonna be tuning in completely to this now for forever for forever yeah well i think that's i mean he he speaks in this you know he speaks in this low voice and he speaks very slowly and it's a kind of almost sounds like um like you know, it, it 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 it's not like in a sticky way, but it reminds you of kind of like a you know Vincent Price or Boris Karloff mm-hmm. or some old horror movie thing. But it's not a gimmick. It's really <laughs> Edgar, mm-hmm. and um, and he also speaks very slowly. So there's a kind of hypnotism that goes on, mm-hmm. and then I think everything is completely from his point of view. Um, through his eyes and I think he's also I think he just his use of language I think he, he he's very in his in a way restrained I mean I don't think he I don't think there's ever an image or a sentence that doesn't really need to be there when mm. Edgar is and and he's also funny you know it's yeah. so he but he does a lot of stuff too about his mother and about growing up in Savannah and about um interactions in 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 that he has in the park with strangers and it's just kind of, but it's kind of like a um uh, a whole world that's like soaked in longing you know yeah. and it's and it's um so I've, i yeah I, I don't know how to but he's he's brilliant utterly brilliant and, and but mm-hmm. i think in terms of time to that slowing down i think when he delivers everything he slows down time and so it kind of expands and mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. when you say like you're going to listen to it forever i think that's what he does he kind of create he kind of like opens up this little eternity so yeah now. yeah he slows the world down it makes me think about how in 2020 and this is all just i don't know this is kind of left field but that 2020 the, the world spun faster this year than any year since 1960 there are 28 of the fastest days on record uh which makes me think again about time i don't want to go down time hole again maybe i do i don't know but we don't like you say he he expands time in his work and that's something that i've you know it happens in our perception of time all the time where something seems you know waiting for someone to call you takes forever but then the conversation flies by and i don't know like what how do people do that how do you do that how do you how do you uh, you adjust time too, like edgar does yeah 
I mean, I mean it's an unanswerable question to ask. Right. I don't mean to just put it. Like, how do you man way. manipulate it in in performance? Right. Well, yeah. yeah. One time. Well, one. In one p thing that I wrote about my uh, this funeral of my aunt, who was an actress, I I wrote every real performance is a spell against time, and uh -huh. I and I do feel that way. That that performance can open up this kind of other dimension, this, yeah. you know. But yeah, my, my experience of time, I mean, particularly this last year, time, you know, March was like a decade long. And then I think April and June were like a year long. And mm -hmm. then, um, but then, the, then it's been like a couple minutes since then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I feel the same way. It's so weird. I, also, it's weird how like that syncs. That seems to track across like different people a lot. I don't have an explanation for it, other than maybe we get used to quarantine and we get used to things, and then something else happened. This week felt long to me, with the whole. I, but it's also fast again. It's time is well. I think weird. it does. My you know experience of time is is expands and contracts, and I've found that it has a lot to do with when I'm in a habit or when I'm experiencing variation. So I, if I'm traveling, it's almost like I, that's expanding time. Like if I'm having new experiences, that there are whole worlds that are occurring, but then I come back to my apartment a month or a year later, and then it's like the time contracts and it's like I never left. Um, mm -hmm. And I think... So I, th I yeah I think there are lots of lots of variables there, but that that's that's what I've one thing that I've noticed, and I think just having like a, I think that politically and and routine wise everything's been so uncertain late lately, so that um, it's just hard to to track time, but yeah. I also I think we're in, you know I think it depends on what you're doing, but like everything's sort of suspended. I mean, for me, I've been mostly in isolation during this time. And um, so I've started to feel like I'm kind of in an afterlife. Oh, you right. know? And What's that been like? Well, I think I, I just, I don't feel like, you know, I have I have a, a friend who's in a nursing home now and I call, call her and she's like, she just says things like, well, I'm here, I, I'm here. Like if you say, how are you? And I feel kind of like that, like I'm here. Yeah, um, I'm here, yeah. And where it's just, yeah, where I, where th things aren't really occurring or I'm just in this sort of nether world, just some kind of purgatory where life seems on hold, but it's kind of going mm -hmm. on and yeah. Yeah, no, I feel you. Yeah. Um, dude, something you seem to do in your work a lot too is like sometimes overtly and sometimes secretly like reference all of the, like all of your favorite artists. I'm thinking of that line where I saw in the city, the greatest pop song about how I wore your face around the city, which is like then a fresh specter I became. Um, I mean, it makes me think about how David Wanarovich puts on the Rimbaud face and moves around the city. I was is that line directly from that? Yeah, you know, I, I was supposed to write, so the song, um, and so sometimes I, I, I erase or I just don't advertise the origins of images, because I, sometimes like that, I feel like, okay, it's a compelling image, but I, I'm not gonna like talk about the origin just because I think it could be more expansive if I don't, but, mm -hmm. um, I yeah I was asked to write a song that was somehow about like the the lineage of of you know bohemian artists downtown New York artists and um, and Rum Rumbo and so it was you know so I was thinking about about David uh, Wojnarowicz and Patti Smith and their relationship to Rambo and the way they were kind of like, well, I think Patti Smith is kind of sort of in love with him across time, mm -hmm. you know, and trying to commune with him and, and this um, across time. And so it's, it's this impossible 
relationship and, and uh, yeah, so I thought about wandering through a city and kind of wandering through through history and having this sort of imaginary, yeah. you know, romance with, with some artist. And so, so I was thinking about them, they were thinking about him, uh, and that, that all went into the in into that song but then i don't i don't frame it that way um yeah like i wasn't trying i mean i don't think it's something that it's not a secret people, you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah right it's just something it's like a nice it's something it's, i think the bigger question i want to ask is kind of related to that of how patty smith thinks about Rimboat is like do you think of yourself as having these conversations across time with like i don't know maria collis or or you know the the people, the greats, people that you may look up to, things like that. Well, yeah, and I guess, I guess there was also, yeah, just that idea of like doing a, of historical drag, or just yeah, invoking other artists or something that I was that I was thinking through, whether it's in a nostalgic, bad way or a productive, interesting way. But, um, yeah. I, I guess I, I, I don't know about um, conversations, having conversations like that exactly but i i do i do find a lot of comfort and uh, orientation in in reading and thinking about artists from the past and um and 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 you know forming my own my own lineage in my mind and and thinking yeah, thinking about this other, this other map, and and I think that that feels really liberating to me. I mean, it often feels much more liberating to me to read something, you know, written in the late 1900s or or <laughs> 2,000 years ago, or um, you know, than than being really trapped in our contemporary moment. Yeah, I think that's also. I mean. We need more of that. I think that's where the world's going. I see history as like this accordion that's just collapsing on itself, you know, um, in so many ways. I mean, in woo-woo ways, but also just in like the internet. You can like get on the internet and be in any time period, have artifacts brought to your portal to look at anywhere. This collapsing of time occurs a lot, which is good. Right. Yeah. yeah, and and I, I and and I guess the other thing is that you can kind of find a context for yourself or your impulses or your practices if you if you look at other artists who from other yeah. from other moments. I mean, I think Oscar Wilde said something like, you know, people accept the past because they can't change it, or something like that. So artists who are celebrated now but who are dead, you you kind of you you accept them because you can't change what they did but you, but but there's still you there's a lot of a lot of um what am i trying to say <laughs> um but but often still like in the contemporary moment there there's a, there's often a, a great lack of imagination and and a, a great a, a way that a great pressure to really um flatten yourself as a per as a person as a being or as an artist in order yeah. to be readable and mm-hmm. and i think that most great artists have always been um been just kind of worlds unto themselves and yeah. and full this... and full of contradictions and and mm-hmm. thorns <laughs> yeah that is a great point that's something that is not I mean, it's celebrated by artists, I think, because we're all looking for that, at least most of us. And then, but this idea that, um, oh, but, oh man, uh, the, uh, what was it? yeah, what was I gonna say? Um, now I'm overthinking it. Let me give me a second here. Um, you know, like, uh, flattening, I don't know. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry, okay. Uh, artists, um, I don't know with because because everybody has like limited attention spans now and and we're you know we're all also like being inundated with with um new work and recordings or whatever like any work like TikToks like I'm have like a wide 
view of what work could be artwork. And then so there's like 86 years or something of content uploaded every day to the internet. And it's all these, it's all these people, uh, um, and I fall into this trap, I think a lot too, is like you, you, you kind of like, you want, you have all these different ideas, you have all these different like places you want to, you know, work on your artwork and, but then you kind of like have this pressure to like become a brand or like, you know, become a, like, yeah, as you say, like this flat one dimensional sort of icon of whatever it is that someone will like latch onto and give you time for. And um, I think that's, I mean, I hope that's changing. Like, I hope that, I, I think more, I think more, you know, no one wants that. No one wants to be boiled down to a, to an icon like that, you know? You know, yeah, I, th I think that, um, and while, of course, you know, of course, you know, artists can participate in that and you can, you can, you know, like have your yeah. gimmick and, um, but, but I do, I do think that, you know, especially in these, in the 21st century in America, I feel, I've felt largely like everything is like one giant, um, like all like American culture, particularly you know, is is kind of like a big karaoke night where yeah. every every area of culture, like in, in visual art, in theater, in in you know, like indie rock, in in a and I think there are exceptions, but um, where it's kind of like you're you're doing people are are you know imitating. Um, imitating things that are already familiar so that they can be read and so that it and so that it becomes you know every people are and then people end up looking for like if they people really want frames around their experiences um so they they might find something exciting but they want to understand what you know what it is that you know and people do find the unfamiliar exciting in a way but there's a real um, reluctance to to prom to promote it or to, to market it. I mean, it's it, it, there's this this pressure to instantly brand, to become something instantly recognizable, to, to really trade in the familiar, and mm -hmm. I think that that is really detrimental. You know, and it can be in in painting, it can be in um, in music, and it's in a lot of and and all those little economies, I think that that all these economies sort of are are segregated, and it ends up like segregating the types of experiences we have artistically. I think it's just mm -hmm. it's just a big uh, hyper capitalist mess. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> I think that's a good point, a good way to put it too. Um, the um, something you said in there was. Oh yeah. Okay. So obviously your performance work, um, you know, makes use of a lot of multimedia tendencies. Like you're, you're, I find you're, you're, you'll make like a music video and then it'll, it'll like enter your performance. It'll be there too. I like this. I mean, I like that way that you kind of like reuse work and put it into different contexts and then also like perform over your videos. Like you know, because you're in the room actually singing, you're not and to the to the, to the track. It's, so um, yeah, I don't know the multimedia aspects of your work. Where does it come from? Why is it important to you? I don't know. Is that fun? Um. Well, I guess that you know everything. You know, I guess that you know every everything's sort of this sustained open question for me. I mean. And some, sometimes I think I, I try something that I think, and then I'm just like, oh, I'm not <laughs> good at that, or I had a concept, but I'm, and I tried to execute it, but it should have just been a concept that I wrote down and <laughs> didn't, you know. So I, everything's everything's trial and and error. Everything's a process. But um, mm -hmm. I'm, I get, I guess specifically often yeah I'll, I'll write a, a story and then and then I'll stage it and then it's a performance then I'm it might become a video or like with a song maybe it's a it's a song but I have a whole other 
you know, uh, vision for it in my head, so then it becomes a video, and then then I might, yeah, reverse lip-sync to it and, like, do the, do the vo- vocal live on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I'm... It's, it's just all in the spirit of being able to... I, I think it's also a kind of, like, study in... I like migrating something from one sort of medium to another and and even one context to another and seeing seeing what happens. So I, mm-hmm. I and in another way, I, n- I never feel like anything's really done. I mean, I don't go back and change songs or anything, but um, I, I don't know if that's a good answer. I don't know if I really no, I think that's great. And it hits on answer. you know smart thing things I like. Um, you know, which is that you're willing to take your work and put it in different contexts. It's like you're learning from your work. It's like, you know, it's, um, I don't know, sometimes maybe artists have experiences where they're just putting out the work. You know, I can see it as sometimes not, like, and then like just moving on from it, maybe not co- engaging with it and like seeing where, it, I think it deepens your work when you're, when you're putting it through all these, fil- like taking a video idea, processing it to a performance idea and back, like, it has to obviously that process deepens your understanding of the work and um deepen, deepens your connection to like what you're doing with with with, with this art <laughs> i don't know yeah yeah no but uh I, yeah so so i think that yeah everything everything you you said uh, you know and then then i do find limits i mean there are certain things i'm you know in one way I think I've I wanna be I, I like finding the limits of like what I can accomplish by myself and what you know I I don't really you know yeah mm-hmm. but um but sometimes I'm I'm just not good at certain things. <laughs> Word, yeah. Aren't we all? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, let me look at this thing. I said, I think we, oh, yeah. Um, can we talk about pets? Sure. <laughs> yeah, you got a fascination with cats. Uh, your cat, <laughs> I don't know, or, or is it all animals for you? you uh, furry creatures feature prominently in your work. And um, I always like, I, I also like having a dog has like changed my life. I, I've always had pets, but I, I I like I think animals are are the best, <laughs> don't we all? Um, yeah, and I don't know. What do you see in animals? Um, why and like anthropomorphize them in your work? Well, yeah, that's something I have thought about in the past and haven't thought about. Well, lately, I mean, this is I don't. My mom, I've helped my mom um, set up an Instagram profile for her cats. Oh, word! And What's that at? Like, well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. I'll after. tell me later. Yeah, okay. Later. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, That's just, cool. I want to know about that. Um, so I'm engaged in that way with her, her cat portraits right now. But, okay, cool. You know, my I'm I'm a cat person. I I really like cats, and I relate to cats. Um, but I'm allergic to cats, so. Oh wow! Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, I had, you know, I had a cat when I was growing up and everything, but um, I don't yeah. have one now. And yeah, because it'll like makes me hoarse, and then I can't sing, and so uh, it's yeah. disappointing. But um, you know, I think the for a while I was doing a lot of work about about. I mean, I did some work, you know, with my mom and her relationship to cats, and then I and then I did some stuff about about creatures and uh, mythical creatures and um, and the idea of creature, you know, animals talking and 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 speaking. I think um, and 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 had a I guess I guess it was coming out of an identification with creature with creatureness. Mm-hmm. I felt like I was a creature. So, so, yeah, you know, I don't think, I mean, I think animals, obviously, I think animals aren't just symbols um, and, 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 you know, fetish objects for us to project 
our own reality onto and, and meaning they have you know non-human animals have their own reality and their own and their own meaning but I guess it was also yeah just those I, I think a lot of a lot of my work has to do with with language and and uh, you know um, you, the um, I, I am kind of losing. I think I, there's a way I could say it, but um, I might be losing the the thread. Mm-hmm. Um, animals can't. Uh, yeah, let, let me come back to it. Let me. Th- yeah, I have to. I have, no to I have to think about it a little bit. For sure. For Maybe. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also think. I mean, like brought up your mom and and her cats and but like you've always had a, like a reverence for women in your work they're always heroes i mean i don't know they're they're not it, i i really respect that in your work and value it and so maybe you could talk about the archetype of the mother if that is where it's coming from or your relationship with your mom and how it influences uh, maybe it's not even that i don't know i'm projecting on you but like you know what um Unfortunately, that's rare, you know, right? In in work, in people's work, that mm-hmm. that women have such a reverent position. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, I, I hope it. I hope it. It does. I hope it is not a. But I think it is. I think it is an emp- empathetic um, relationship that I, I. I I've had a lot of you know, for whatever reasons in my life, I've had. Uh, an interest in old, older women um, as friends, and and I've also had a kind of like need to be mothered a lot by a mm. lot of people. <laughs> I like, I don't know why. I'm just yeah. kind of this wayward son in a way mm-hmm. who needs to be mothered. But I don't know if I still <laughs> need that. But yeah, I have um, a bunch but of our- times. And yeah. so, and I don't know what the construction is. I think, I think so. I've ended up, um, I, I've also felt I was very understanding of particularly older, older women who, who maybe other people consider difficult. Um, mm-hmm. I've always gotten along really well with, with a lot of women like that. Um, yeah. you know, I, and and so, and I've also had a lot of um, women, older women mentors, and so mm-hmm. they're, and then in a way, they become like a muse um, for me. And then, but then they're also, I don't know, they're also kind of there's like the the Socratic kind of figure, you know, where they're I'm an apprentice, um, mm-hmm. but I'm also. I'm also um, kind of representing them or, or thinking about them, mm-hmm. and, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure what um, what all the reasons for that is. Maybe, yeah, yeah. No, I don't. Yeah, I think that's a great description. I don't even need reasons. <laughs> I would say why, and then I'm like, oh yeah, I'm realizing if you say why, it's like. What I don't know. It's I, I hate the question why. I, I'm gonna stop using it one day. But um, yeah. Oh, have have you ever been in a space where your voice matches the resonant of it, and something strange and unexplainable happens? Like through through like I don't know some either like that's cool resonance vibration or or things like that. I think you sent me an article once about a about a like a, a a cave where where it had like the male baritone voice could could shake it in a certain way and right yeah, yeah. we should look that we should up again and um but think i think about it closer i uh i don't know i i mean i broke a saucer one time with my voice oh cool that was that was just at home on the low end or the high end i'm trying to remember it was this like it was a pretty cheap iridescent saucer. I think I was. I think I, I don't think it was a really high note or something. I think, but I I I started singing and it just broke in half. 
Um, but is <laughs> that's cool. I don't know what. I mean, I don't remember like some kind of supernatural event or okay are you uh, <laughs> that's what i want to happen obviously i want i want your voice to open a portal for us all to go through well um you know I'm, it's not off the table yeah it's not off yeah the table. could happen <laughs> 2020 was gonna be a big year yeah um your voice too like did you um what, did you find the low end of your voice first and then develop the high end? Or is it, like, how did the development of your voice occur? Um, well, I guess there's something, I, I think that my my voice, you know, sits low. It's like a, like a bass baritone voice singing wise, but, um, and I and I have I think I have a desire for extremes in that way. So I think I always wanted it to be low mm -hmm. and and wanted to be open to, to that. I, I mean, which I don't think for some reason I don't I don't know that a lot of people like have that fantasy of like having a really low voice or something but i i relate to that because i mean i i grew up listening to tom waits and i always like spent i've always wanted to have tom waits's voice and so i'm like it's not gonna happen for me <laughs> maybe when i'm older <laughs> but i i love that idea like did you was there a voice that you had heard when you were younger that was like that's the voice i want well i i guess i i don't know that i was thinking about like that's the voice I want. I, I liked, I mean, you know, I liked, um, but yeah, I liked, I liked low, I liked Screamin' Jay Hawkins. I mean, I like Iggy Pop's voice. I liked a lot of, um, low, low voices. And, and I also liked voices where their, um, their vo if you just heard their voice, it didn't match their body. Like, you know, um, like little Jimmy Scott. You know, the first time I heard him, I thought it was a woman singing, uh, and you know, I think, and there were other women. And I thought it was a man the first time they were singing. So, so, so things like that, where almost the voice had this other identity, um, and and yeah, my my higher voice. I think it's just, um, I think I wanted to find other other sounds um also find a sound that wasn't as classical that i could play with or that uh, you know sometimes that high part of my voice sounds more instrumental um or like a weird theremin or something and i think it just came came out of wanting to wanting it to take different forms or also to to, to create a multiplicity where okay this almost sounds like a different well like a different person or like a creature who's who's making this sound um, there, and, and that it that I that I might be able to be almost like channely, like I'm okay. There's this sound, and then there's this other sound, and it, is it a different? It's kind of a different presence, or implies a different presence. So, mm -hmm. I guess I have a wide-ranging voice, but in a way, um, in a way, I think it's the way that I'm. It's like has a different color, or it just sounds. It sounds. Sometimes it sounds higher than it than it is actually. Those, oh, really? Those, those, <laughs> <laughs> they're like reverbing and things. I don't um, know. That's just yeah. no, just through. I think it's just the the quality of the tone. Um, ah. You know, you can make different notes sound uh, sound really different. Like I could sing the same note and I could make it sound low, and then I could mm. make it sound, you know, like an opera singer singing one. Mid to low note has all this depth, and then a pop singer singing the same one, it doesn't sound as low. You know, just I see, yeah, um, and yeah, then you can, yeah. So, mm -hmm. I, and that's like the physicality of that. Do you think it's just because, like, uh, are, is is do opera singers use more of their body when they sing versus a pop singer? Like, is the you know is the noise generated lower? I don't know stuff an, like that. An, an opera singer is going to use be using more breath support in general. Um, and also uh, a loftier kind of, they're using more resonant space in their skull a lot of times. Oh, so, cool. um, yeah. So that's how it happens. There's more. 
Whereas a lot of pop singers, it's almost more like it's closer to speech. Some, I see. Some, sometimes. Yeah. Um, but there's all different. Obviously, and, yeah. So and, many pop singers, hard to generalize. And, and yeah, yeah, and you know, belting things out. And, yeah, there's different. Yeah. Different. Yeah, but I see what you. I mean, I definitely, you definitely see the differences in tone when you're seeing an opera versus a Ariana Grande. Which I love. Do you like Ariana Grande? <laughs> we don't have to put this on the record. <laughs> um. I don't know if I do. I'm, I'm, okay. I, I, I'm open to, to liking Ariana Grande. So you'll have For to, sure. you'll have to tell me. Yeah, I don't. Maybe I, just, you can I don't know why she popped in my head. I just thought. Entry. I thought I'd ask. Yeah. But yeah, dude. I think uh, you know we're coming up on 9/11 now. The time. Oh. Okay. So I think maybe we've reached the end of the dead end here, and I okay. think we got through through it. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Thank, thank you for <laughs> Find the ending. I don't know. Yeah, I got through all my questions, basically. <laughs> and yeah. now I'm like... That's great. Yeah. Yeah, do you want me to... Should I ask you any questions? I don't know. No. Oh. Uh, I feel it's anything you want to know. <laughs> I don't know. But I'll tell you anything. 